The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. Okay, welcome to the Bleachers. This is oh. Jeff Blum, your oh. host of Bleacher Blum's podcast. <laughs> so it's a cheesy open. We we are so unscripted, it's ridiculous. And it's a beautiful thing because I know it makes myself a little more comfortable. And I know, hopefully, that it makes Tuttle a little more comfortable. The guy it makes uncomfortable is our producer, Mark Ramos, who is currently getting ready for game one of the American League Division Series. Dun, dun, dun. Between the Astros and the Seattle Mariners. But yeah, this is the Bleacher Blums podcast. This is a lot of fun for me. My name is Jeff Blum. Played 14 years in the big leagues. Now 10 years as the Astros color commentator. Uh, I like to talk. That's why I have a podcast. And I also like this guy that I'm talking to, my co-host, David Tuttle. Out there on the left coast, covering the covering the left coast for us, and uh, just a good friend, good guy to be talking to. I know we have a lot of fun on this podcast, but uh, another week has gone by, and things have been very good for us personally. It is the end of the season. Since I last talked to you, Tuttle, my season has ended as far as being a color commentator. I'm now dad, part-time uh, playoff analysis guy. Uh, fantasy football owner. What else could I possibly? Volleyball golfer. cheerleader. I saw your golfer. wife said she's happy to have you back. You're like a freaking oh. golfer. She's like, I thought I had my husband back, and there you are on the golf course every day. But you know what? So I've never <laughs> done this before. You under the bus too. No, this is this is great because I had no idea what I was getting into. I play golf. I love it. I suck at it. You know, I'm a I'll, full disclosure. I'm a 13 handicap, and I work, but. I'm not, I, I'm trying to get better, but it's hard. That being said, I've never played in a member guest golf tournament. And I had no idea that I was embarking on a three-day bender. Mm. Unbelievable. I am too old for this, man. It's one thing for me to go out and play golf. It's another thing to go out there, try and keep up with as much as these guys drink and play golf. I literally had to bail uh, every night at about two hours before everybody else went to bed. I was gassed, man. And now that I, I haven't had a drink in two days, I'm off the wagon because, or I'm on the wagon, off the wagon. What am I? You are on the wagon. 
If you're okay. not drinking, you're on the wagon, you fall off the wagon when you drink. I had to think about that. How about, are yeah. we on or are we off? I don't know. But you are on the wagon currently. So all of you wagoneers, I am on that wagon with you because I am trying to detox after three days of just mayhem. I I mean, wow. I had no idea. I thought you showed up and played golf because like the first day was a shamble. You know, we didn't play great, shot three over. The next day you're playing your ball, your net score. We shot three over again total. And then the last day is a Stableford thing. And I mean, it was just a yard sale that th- that day. But man, what, what a zoo. I saw two things I've never seen before on a golf course. I saw a hole-in-one. Have you ever seen a hole-in-one, Tuttle? I have not. I actually was wondering, you posted something. I've never seen a hole-in-one. I've never, never hit one. I've been playing golf since I was nine. Like, I've never even seen one. I've seen a lot of close ones, never seen one. Yeah, and we've played with guys like John Adam who are scratch golfers, and we've seen them get incredibly close, but I finally witnessed a hole-in-one. My partner... Unfortunately, uh, it wasn't your hole-in-one. That's the hole-in-one I want to witness, by yeah. the way, my own. My I would own. Lo- if I witnessed yours, I mean, I witnessed my buddies and I was excited, but if I witnessed somebody like yours, I'm, I'm, it may be a good form yeah. tackle or a yeah. Goldberg spear into oh, the sand pit and just celebrate... Or well, I meant be, your own. Like, I mean your own. Like, that's the one you want to witness. You're happy for the yeah. other guy, but don't you I mean, want to witness your yes. own ball? Yes, thank you. Yeah. That's what I'm, but I mean, he hit it, and I didn't go, son of a bitch, why wasn't uh, that my ball? You know? Right. No, <laughs> you no, imagine? you're not. No, you're not a grouch. Yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, so give us, yeah, give us a little more highlight around that. So 158-yard par three, uh, bunk, two bunkers right, a bunker left. I'm I'm in the short right bunker. On, no, I'm in the back left bunker because obviously I have no control over my, you know, I squared it up and I, I hit it way farther than I should have. So I'm in the back bunker. I'm like, hey, my ball's there. Uh, Bob yeah. and Rick are over there. And, uh, yeah. my, and my buddy Michael's like, I don't see my ball. He goes, I think he was going right at the pin, but I think it was short. Yeah. So we all scatter and go to our golf balls and we're getting ready to hit. Mentally, I'm like, dude, it's going to take me three shots to get out of this bunker like it normally oh, does. Trap, yeah. And he looks up and he goes, it's in the cup. And we're like, dude, no way. We go running up there. He slam dunked it. Oh. It didn't It didn't bounce in. He destroyed gotcha. half the cup and it took out half the cup and his ball's resting in the bottom of the cup. And we lost oh, it. We nice. were like, what? And yeah, then- that's great. Yeah, he realized his bill was going to be about three grand when uh, he, he had to buy everybody drinks at the club yeah. after he. Uh, I don't know when you know, that started, right? That's a little history. Yeah, too. congrats. Like to pay the bill. Should, yeah, it should be the other way around. It's like, great. I don't want to hit a hole in one at an expensive <laughs> golf course. It's like, here's the bill, sir $5,200. Like, $5,200. Yeah. And uh, the second craziest thing I saw in that golf tournament was a 300. I'm going to have to do the math. It was like a 350-yard drive. So we had been playing this ninth hole uh, is a par five at this course. And I think it was playing at like 475 to 480, depending on where the pin was or the tee box or whatever it was. And uh, so we stood on the tee box and proceeded to tee off. Now, my driver this whole three days was ridiculous. I don't know why, but I was striping. Oh, nice. Crushing it down the middle. But I was I was hovering between 270 and 300, depending on a roll, you know, right. where it hit and where it landed. So ninth hole, this is our last hole of the tournament. This is day three, hole number 18. We're finishing on number nine. And the whole time in this tournament, the two previous days, it was it was driver, you know, seven iron pitching wedge to get into this thing because we were pretty well behind. 
So my buddy hits, he's at the edge of the water. And keep in mind, it's like there's water all down the left. I get up, I'm like, I'm going to aim over the right, the bunker on the right, and hopefully it peels off that thing and I land in the fairway somewhere. I hit fourth, so driver, driver, driver. I step up, whack, wow, that felt really good, guys. So we get in our carts, we go tootling down there, we can't find my ball. Michael hits, you know, he lays up, the two other guys lay up, and one of the other guys laid up next to another golf ball. Mm. It was mine. Wow. 475-yard hole, I was 119 out. Wow. 356. But how did you do it? Do you even know? I mean, did it hit? A it was a combination. Of, it was a combination uh, of fireball, steroids, oh. and a corked club. No, fireball. Steroids. I just, I, I, I just laid into it, smashed it, and got this beautiful draw. But it, you know, it's kind of an undulating fairway, and I think oh, I must yeah, have yeah. caught the back of a hill and just shot nice. forward and just rolled out. But it was, it was nice. ridiculous. And I, I, I birdied my last hole. I birdied. Oh. Yay! Nice. That's awesome. I yeah. guess when you play enough golf, like that's the thing is I'll play once every, you know, I need to play more, but let's say I play once a year in a scramble or I play once every, you know, six months, you know, if you start playing, like you said, three days in a row and you start like getting your swing and you start feeling this, you, feel you start it. like, yeah. all right, this is what I want to do. And that you're going to see a lot more stuff too, right? Like if you start playing daily, yeah, true. Like, hey, that's a good point. a couple hole in ones. I saw, <laughs> I hit a couple really good drives. Like, I mean, hopefully just the collection of shots and the collection of playing, you know, expands your horizons. I guess. No, that's a great point. So Tuttle, what uh, what's going on with you, man? How are how are things going? What do we got going on? I mean, do we have anything on tap? I know you've been studying like crazy. Uh yeah, like crazy. <laughs> you know that. Um, so let's uh, yeah, let's jump into what's on. You know, you said it at the beginning. I I like that the podcast is not scripted. I usually do send a text with some stuff. So if we want to give St. Arnold's their props, since they you know send you a little beer and some money, here we go. Uh, mm -hmm. what's, what's on tap brought to you by St. Arnold. We have uh, our little quick fantasy football update. Woo we, of course, have to talk about the baseball playoffs. I think that's going to be the meat of this. Mm. Um, we talked we talked about some buyouts last week in terms of hypotheticals, meaning if Jimbo Fisher got fired, he would have an $83 million buyout. But we actually have a reality uh, this week as Matt Rule got fired yesterday. We're recording this on a Tuesday. Matt Rule got fired yesterday, and I think he gets somewhere around $40 million. So I'd love to touch on that. You had a really good point about that. Um, Let's see, baseball playoffs. Um, oh, and then in that, there was the Buck Showalter thing. Yes, maybe the that Mets, was it. Maybe let's delve in a couple, like delve in a little bit on some of the teams that we picked. I think that would be sufficient. We had golf leading us off, and what's on tap brought to you by St. Arnold's Brewery in Houston, Texas. Thank you. Let, let's start real quick with our playoff predictions. We're just going to go with our predictions because that first round, that wild card round is over. Before we get into our fantasy football, I just want to give people a quick quick refresher on what happened in that wild card situation. I believe that I picked St. Louis. They got – how about the fact – are you – before? so St. Louis won – or St. Louis lost Pitt, Pittsburgh. Philadelphia beat the St. Louis Cardinals in two. Who else do we have? The Guardians won in two. They scored a total yep. of, I think, three runs to win that series, which is yeah. freaking bizarre. Mariners and then, won in two. 
Mariners one and two, and then the uh, Padres beat the Mets. That was probably a pretty surprising one to me. You being on the left coast, uh, what was the reaction out there when you saw the Padres beat the Mets to move on and play the Dodgers? Uh, I think that's, I mean, what my big takeaway, and we can get in deeper, is I think what we saw, we talk about, I was watching the NFL last night, and the parody in the NFL is unbelievable. I mean, the oh Raiders gosh, are one and right. four, and they're giving the Chiefs all they can handle, and you're like, mm-hmm. the parody? Baseball is a little bit different. We're a little, like most things, there's a lot more teams, and it's top-heavy in the playoffs. But I think what we saw is with the Philadelphia Phillies, the Atlanta Braves, and the Mets, is what we saw is the American League East is pretty stout. The National League West is pretty stout. And when you go through those divisions throughout the year, um, I'm sorry, not the American League East. That, that would be the Yankees, the Blue Jays. I guess that's stout too. But you well, they see were stout, that but they got teams, beat. Right, right. But the National League East is what I was getting at is you have the Phillies, yeah. the Braves, and the Mets all fighting it out till the end. And what we overlooked was, hey, you know, because we just both assumed the Cardinals were going to be in, I think the the – the tooth and nail fighting that goes on during the season, right? The old, uh, 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 it just sharpens, it just sharpens those teams. So I think the Padres were probably built for some more toughness. I also think, and this is a good point take I was going to have in the podcast is that people like the Mets, they've got DeGrom and Scherzer. They're going to go deep into the playoffs, which is what you and I both said. Yeah. But, but if you go back to podcasts, like number one, two or three, we talk about chemistry all the time, and you know mm. this very well. Um, yeah. Verlander's gotten a lot of um, positive p- feedback this year for being much more of a teammate. Um, you know, if you're making $50 million a year as the number one starter and you miss three months of the season, and then you just show up and expect to throw your glove out there, assimilate with the team, they have your back, all that stuff. I don't think it always works that way is my point. And I think that's what bore out the Mets. Everyone's now panicked about the Mets. It's like, yeah, they won 101 games, but they did it mostly without DeGrom and Scherzer, right? Ba- um, mm-hmm. Bassett had stepped up. So I think those Taiwan those Walker, two things, yeah. yeah. So those two things, I don't think it was that big of a surprise here on the left coast with the Padres winning. And then honestly, nice. um, when I looked at the Phillies winning, when you look at the way they had to fight at the end of the season just to get in the playoffs. And I think that was the biggest difference. What about you? No, there's, there's a couple of things. The Padres kind of surprised me because like you said, but you brought up a really good point in the fact that, you know, the way that team was constructed was to, to obviously to go out there and win during the regular season. But I think what you kind of discount and maybe it's hard to say they had a disappointing season. They made it to the playoffs behind the Los Angeles Dodgers, like you're saying, in the National League West, which just is a ridiculous division because the Dodgers run away with everything. So you kind of discount and say, well, the Padres came in second place in the West. They snuck into the playoffs, but did they really? And I think that you kind of saw their worth in that Mets series because in a shortened series, a, that a team like that can be dynamic and it can be explosive. And they actually went out there and played a very good series. Bob Melvin again, a lot of experience, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, credibility there in the ability to put these guys in the right position to go out there and win. They played well and they got timely hits and they beat up on Max Scherzer with the long ball. And then they beat Chris Bassett with you know a technique of just stepping out of the box, frustrating the Mets and uh, beating them. So I thought that was really interesting. Uh, I do after watching that series, I almost feel as if the Padres do have a a better chance of beating the Dodgers than maybe I would have said a month ago because they got destroyed in that season series against the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. But I think that playoff brings out a different animal. 
Uh, the yeah. Mariners surprised me in their ability to swing it and come back because we talked about the Blue Jays. They can blow the doors off you in a heartbeat, and they were up eight to one in the in what seventh inning with one out, and all of a sudden they score you know nine runs to come back and win that game, which kind of surprised me. Uh, I'm disappointed that St. Louis lost, just in the sense that we lose Albert Pujols, and what a great story that was to finish the year. Uh, but the Philadelphia Phillies, like uh, Tuttle is saying, is kind of that surprise team that has a bunch of grinders, and they may be coming together towards the end of the season. And then the Guardians beating the Rays, uh, the Rays have no offense. I mean, good Lord. Yeah. I mean, that, that was pretty pathetic to watch them go 15 innings and not score at least one run. But then on the other side, are you going to the Guardians any good? Because they only scored one run in 15 innings. But I think it sets up nicely. And I think the Guardians might be the only team that we got right out of those four, man. Well, you got them right. I actually picked, uh, I, I believe I picked um, uh, the Rays out of there just because we talked about Kevin Cash and the experience. But I will say mm -hmm. this. I mean, good pitching beats good hitting most of the time. The Rays yes. hadn't scored a lot of runs all year, but, you know, they were hot. I mean, you had the Blue Jays, the Yankees, the Rays, the same thing as you know, I, I guess it's like flipping the argument, but they were they were battle tested, but battle tested in the wrong way because they had a bunch <laughs> of guys go down towards the end of the year, yeah. and then you had Glass um, Glass Glass now had to throw five. He threw five scoreless innings, but that's like his third start coming back after Tommy John. I, I mean, know. they didn't have the depth that they've had in the past, and I think that was the biggest difference there with Tampa Bay. But I mean, you know, both you and I said the Cardinals, and I think. We might have mm -hmm. overlooked the Cardinals. I did because I'm still not sold on the Phillies. I mean, I think that, you know, that that I worry about their starting are, pitching. Yeah, they're grinders. But I think that was just a, that was kind of an aberration, meaning the Cardinals didn't have the depth either once they got past the um, the first game. True. So, you know, the, I think the Cardinals expected to win that first game and they were up and they just gave up the six runs. I was actually listening to that game on the radio. You know, they're like, oh, it's six to one. The Cardinals are going at it. And they, I had even texted you that guy's stats, their closer, who I guess I his arm was. His stats 64 innings, 96 <laughs> punch outs, like 29 hits allowed. I was like, That's this guy's borderline unhittable. unhittable. Yeah. I mean, it was disgusting. And they were talking about his 100 mile an hour fastball. And that is why you play the game. Honestly, mm -hmm. it's such a mental game. That game was six to one, it was wrapped up. And I think that's where this that series turned for the uh, obviously for the Cardinals and the Phillies. So I'm still not sold on the Phillies. I think the Padres. You already pointed this out. The Padres are 14 and five. Uh, I'm sorry, five and 14 against the Dodgers in the Ooh, season, and dang. that's the one. That's going to be the one thing that might be tricky to overcome. The only advantage there is that they made the trade deadline where they got Drury, Soto, Josh Bell, and then some of the guys coming back, like you Darvish was a little dinged up. And, you know, mm -hmm. so some of these guys hadn't really participated in all 19 of those games. And so there is an advantage maybe, uh, you know, to make the series competitive. But I also think last thing about this with the Dodgers, because you said they run away with it and they make it not competitive. The Dodgers won the most games they've ever won in a single season this year, 111, I think. Wow. And they have been running away with it, but last year the Giants actually beat them on the last day of this, this season. Mm -hmm. So you basically had the Giants, the Padres, and the Dodgers that are beating each other up, you know, the last three or four years. And so I think, you know, like I said, the iron sharpens iron. So I think that those teams are battle-tested and ready to go, and don't discount Bob Melvin. So I hope that series is good, and I'll be rooting for the Padres, to be honest with you.
No, I'm 100% with you. I'm going to be rooting my brains out for uh, for my for my one of my alumni teams in the San Diego Padres because I think everybody who's listening to this, even if even if you're not an Astro fan, you want the Dodgers to be beat. They are the Yankees of the National League, and the Yankees are the Dodgers of the American League. So those are the two teams that, even as good as they are and as big as their fan base is, there's still quite a few people that do not want to see them advance for various reasons. But uh, with that wild card situation being handled so far in this podcast, we're going to shelf it for a little bit because we're going to get back to some of the situations, most notably Eargate. Uh, if your ears are glistening and shiny and spectacular, and you're throwing a no hitter, you're going to get uh, you're going to get the buck treatment. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but right now, I don't know if, if our producer Mark Ramos can play some congratulatory music or maybe Queens We Are the Champions. I'm not sure what it is, or I'm, you know, Shady's back, back again. Here, Tuttle. You're off the schneid, bro. Fantasy Football League. Tuttle has won a game. I won a game. Yes, thank you very much. We'll have a, a hopefully we will get like a we are the champions. The thing is, Blummer, you know me, I'm even keel. It's a one win, <laughs> it's a one game at a time. It's one a one game win streak. We got we Love don't want to be looking too far ahead. So let's, you know, we can play the music, but let's play it low volume. I gotta grind it out. I got another week coming up. <laughs> I uh, I will say Jared Goff scored like 32 points last week, and uh, I was like the guy's on fire, and I lost to Lamar Jackson this week. Jared Goff got shut out by the New England Patriots, which I should have known. Belichick has his number, like Scheming from the them. Super Bowl yeah. years ago. Yeah, I mean they look terrible. I got one point out of Jared Goff, and I had already I had already counted my chickens. I was like, all right, I'm going 0 and five, like. And there it is. Travis Kelsey, four touchdowns last night. Four. Gets me off the schneid. Now, before the fans get too excited, because I know you won your second game this week too, but uh, before the fans get too excited, I did beat the only other guy that's behind me in the league. <laughs> he was 0-4 and, and I was 0-4. I mean, and, that uh, was a big game in this, in this yeah. season, and you pounded him. You pushed him down. <laughs> I pushed him down. He couldn't go much lower, but I, you know. Put him on your boot heel and just shove him down. That's right. What do they say? You know, to to make yourself better, you got to stand on the back of someone else. Yeah, I'm just standing (laughs) on his shoulders to put him him below me. So, anyway, how did you, I think you, did you lead the league in scoring this week? Oh, dude, smoke show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole league though, right? You had, uh, you were on fire. Mahomes. Lost my mind. Yeah. Well, dude, I I mean, I had... only counts as one win, unfortunately. But <laughs> uh, hey, it's 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 the it's the small victories, like you said, Tuttle. One game at a time. The small victories. Let me see. Uh, yeah, obviously Mahomes went off because he threw those four touchdown passes to Travis Kelsey. That was how does that guy continually get open? I don't know. It's unbelievable. What do they say? Ballers ball, something like that. Players yeah, play. Yeah, winners win. Ballers I mean, ball. Players play. Yeah. So this is funny because I told you. Sorry to interrupt you. I, they have. No. We have a yardage component in our other fantasy football league, and I have Kelsey. Kelsey had five receptions for 27 yards and four Ooh. touchdowns. So there you go. Five receptions, 27 yards for four touchdowns. So I don't know if he was open all night, but they, he was open when it mattered. So, I mean, you know, he 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 did what he needed to do. But you're, you guys that crushed, like, list, list off some of your running backs. You had, like, you had oh, man. Well, R- Rashad Stevenson for the oh uh, Ramondre, Ramondre yeah, Stevenson. Yeah, who sorry. starts Ramondre Stevenson when it's a time? It's a it's a share there. Damian Harris pulled up lame. Look at you. Yeah, Gee, and then uh, Alvin Kamara finally showed up. Uh, but between those guys, they had twenty points apiece. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, you were killing it with those. Yeah. Guys. I had a Ramon couple of guys. I had, I had Etienne on the bench, believe it or not, too. And he had a decent game. But those two running backs went off for me. How about uh, Gabe Davis? Gabe oh, Davis was the guy. Oh, that's right. That's who you had. I mean, he, he had, went he went over the top twice. He had what ninety nine yard or ninety eight yarder and a yep. seventy two yarder or something yeah, like that. Yeah. I mean, my phone was going nuts. It's like you scored yeah. again, but it was a seventy two yard <laughs> touchdown. I'm like, holy yeah. shnikes! Yeah, that was good stuff. Yep. Yeah, but I I went all out, and uh, I I'm still dreading the week that I play you because I we play together or against each other in week seven. And I've got uh, bye weeks. Bye weeks. I'm sure that But you'll next start week- Ramondre Stevenson against <laughs> me and I'm going to lose. Yeah, I'm going to so start like Garrett Wilson okay. or somebody, uh, you know, yeah. the the receiver for the Jets and uh, yeah. he'll, he'll all of a sudden just break out. Yeah. You'll have Etienne and Garrett yes. Wilson and yeah, you'll, Dude, you'll be able to about- put something together. What, so is there anybody on your roster that you're just incredibly disappointed with? Because I've got two guys that I'm just absolutely I'm distraught about. And I, yeah. watching the Cincinnati Bengals play football is is hard. They yeah. look terrible. Well, Jamar funny, Chase is you, killing me. I have I have this is funny. This is where you and I are GMing alike. So I have Allen Robinson and uh, Jamar Chase in my other on my other. And team. I have them on my lead. And my you have team both of league. them here. Oh. And those are the guys you're referencing. I mean, Allen Robinson. Here, here's the problem. You know, now I sound like I know what the hell I'm talking about. The Rams. We the do. Rams can't block. They can't run. So if you have no running game, true. I mean, you need you need like Cooper Cup to get lucky is what you need, and that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. Well, and Cup finds a way to get open like Travis Kelsey. I mean, those are two guys that, you know, you should be quadruple teaming, but they always yeah. find a way. But I don't understand how, I mean, Allen Robinson gets a big contract and just, he's like, thanks for the check and shuts it down. What are we doing? No, no, Ugh. he's, I mean, he's working. He's a good blocker. I see him out there. I just, I mean, you know, I think that's the whole Rams line. Similar yeah. to, you know, similar to the Bengals. I mean, they they shored up their offensive line, shored up their offensive line. Joe Burrow's running for his life. And Every to play, your point yeah. about Jamar Chase, like they should quadruple and double team guys. Well, T. Higgins is out, and so they just they follow Jamar Chase True. all over the field. He still gets his catches and his targets, but they're not gonna let you, you know, run all over him. But those guys are disappointing. I have I've been debating because I have um and I'm waiting for this to happen, but I have DeAndre Hopkins on my bench, right? the six week buy. So he's coming back in two weeks. And then I have Dak Prescott. So been a little bit disappointed, but um, I do think, I do think bigger things are coming. My friend. T.O. T.O. You week seven, Deandre Hopkins and Dak are coming back. Yep. Sweet. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm even more excited about this matchup. Great. Yeah. You're going down, baby. Yeah. That's I'm gonna the start, only thing. I'm going to start I'm Allen go... Robinson and Jamar yeah. Chase and that just blame on them. And you're going to beat me. Yeah, you're going to beat me. <laughs> That'll though. be the one, be one week trouble. they go off. Hey, you never know. That's why you have them in your lineup. And honestly, you have bye weeks coming if you're not playing them and they're available. But hopefully, Jamar Chase is on a bye or something. You know? Yeah, then seriously. I, so I can not even worry about him. Yeah. Anyway. Well, that's fantasy football. We both got a W. So why don't we uh, throw it over to the uh, Blue Wire Podcast Network for a little advertisement. Yes. And uh, we'll be right back. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. 
Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back. Uh, That was uh, the Blue Wire Podcast Network advertisements um, that support our podcast, just like we support our podcast, as you do, as uh, you do too, I guess, if that sounds funny. You do too. That that rhymes. Onomatopoeia. (laughs) Um, Don't know it. Yes. Uh, Bleacher Blum's podcast here at Blummer27 on both Instagram and Twitter. Myself at Real David Tuttle. Um, we mentioned at the outset that we're not, it's more of a free form podcast. Hopefully that's what you guys enjoy. And uh, we wanted to touch on some gamesmanship here. Uh, <laughs> we did touch on the surprise of the Mets being um, knocked out of the playoffs with both Scherzer and DeGrom um, <clears throat> losing games. But I think. That uh, I don't know. You mentioned something about shiny ears, but I think you mentioned at the outset about Chris Bassett and how that they beat Bassett um, with, you know, kind of stepping out of the box and kind of making it a little tedious. And I was wondering if you thought there was some retaliatory um, something there. Buck Showalter had an interview. I, I love him as a pitcher. Always have, and uh, that's the only thing I kind of, you know, I feel kind of bad about is that it. it but it won't cast anything. He's too good a pitcher, and they're too good a, you know, those, without getting into a lot of things, you know, the spin rates and different things that you, I'm sure you're all aware of, you know, when you see something that uh, jumps out at you. I get a lot of information in the dugout. We certainly weren't having much luck uh, the way it was going, that's for sure. But, you know, I'm charged with doing what's best for the New York Mets, and if it makes, you know, however it might make me look or, uh, or whatever, I'm going to do that every time. And live with the consequences i'm not here to not hurt somebody's feelings you know yeah. i'm gonna do what's best for our players in the new york mets and uh, i felt like that was best for us right now some pretty obvious reasons why it was uh why it was necessary gist of what he said is he's not in this to you know worry about people's feelings he has a ton of respect for joe musgrove and he said that you know he's a great pitcher but we had to get him out of his rhythm and i'm not here to be friends with him i just you know felt like it was time to you know, make him feel uncomfortable and like, see if there was anything we could do to, you know, so essentially admitting he wasn't even sure if he was using something, but we had to try something and, you know, no hard feelings. And Joe Musgrove answered the question like, Hey, I was in the zone. Mm -hmm. Nothing could take me away from what I was doing. Like, it's fine. Like I have no hard feelings about that. So behind the scenes, we know there's uh, probably other things going on, but what, what do you think about what Buck Showalter did? Um, it is kind of the season on the line, and I, I misspoke. I said Scherzer and Degrom lost. They did actually win the game that Degrom started. Then they had to come back to the Bassett game, so they, you know, that game went or that series went three games. But um, I digress. So, what are your thoughts about that Buck Showalter gamesmanship, and then you know maybe related to the Bassett uh, game as well? So 
it's game three. Joe Musgrove's on the mound, and I'm watching this ball game. And I don't know if you noticed this. If you're or fans who are listening to this were noticing when you were watching that game, it was really interesting to me. You know, you're about five innings into it, but I feel like in the first four, you know, one for game game inning one through five, ESPN continued to zoom in on the face of Joe Musgrove, and I was like. Why are they so zoomed in on this guy? I mean, like it felt like he was getting more airtime than he needed. And then David Cohn, the color analyst, you know, is talking with Eduardo Perez. Man, his spin rates are off the charts. And I'm kind of going, wait a minute. Why is he talking about spin rates? He's throwing a no-hitter. I'm looking at the pictures, constantly Joe Musgrove. And then all of a sudden I see the shine from the ear and I'm going, wait a minute. Are they trying to push this narrative that there's something going on? And I think somehow. It may have filtered its way into that Mets clubhouse and Buck Showalter being Buck Showalter. We know he's been controversial his entire career. He's he's uh, very respected, but he's also done things Buck's way. And I think that, you know, it's called Bucky, Buck Baseball or, you know, whatever he, he does is his way. But I think he wanted to find out what was going on and unfortunately went out there at the at the time that they're getting smoked. In an elimination game, his team is no hit at the time, and he sends you know the umpires out there to check Joe Musgrove's ears, sideburns, hair, whatever it is, and it was really awkward. I think it was terrible for the game of baseball to be seeing this because we're already seeing guys go to the sideline, have their hands checked, have their hat checked, have their glove checked, and here we are rubbing ears and doing things like that. I don't know if you remember this, but earlier in the season, Karen Check, a uh, reliever for the Guardians, had his hair checked by Ted Barrett, and I mean, it was it was the most weird looking thing seeing an umpire just fondling his hands through the pitcher's hair. Yeah, it looked like he was being violated a little it bit. It did. Like, hey, I mean, buddy. it was so awkward, and you could see that Ted wasn't necessarily into it. He was like, "Okay, they asked me to do this. I'm gonna do it." And Alfonso Marquez was the same way. He's like, "I gotta." He's probably never touched anybody's ears in his life. And here he is like rubbing national TV. And I think, I think I get it. We've all done it and yelled at pitchers and said, what are you doing? What do you keep doing? You know, but to actually physically go and ask the umpire to check a pitcher's ears is awkward. He was trying to, he was trying to disrupt it. I know he said the right things post game, but he was trying to disrupt Joe Musgrove and piss him off, Of course, get him off his game. But back to what you said about the narrative. So is that, I mean, obviously this stuff does get to the clubhouse if they're watching it somewhere, but is that, so now, I mean, is this a bigger thing? Like is David Cohn and the and the producers and all those guys, mm-hmm. do they have a right to kind of, you know, I, I mean, I don't know, David Cohn's, a, I know he's a New Yorker, but more of a Yankee, but I'm wondering if there's, um, I'm not blaming them. I'm asking the question of, is it oh, the, I right think they the made national a point broadcasting of, of shifting the idea, needle yeah. in? Yeah. yeah. Like, is that what they're supposed to be doing? I mean, this is what happens in football with concussions, right? Now, it's funny that Bridgewater got tackled, and they're like, all right, we're going to make a point. It's like Bridgewater's out the rest of the game. It didn't even look really like he hit his it, head. Yeah. So now they're going to obviously err on the side of caution with that specific team. And now it's like, all right, you want us to like put us under a microscope, and you want to look at this, and you want the national broadcast to be like, hey, he looked a little wobbly, and let's show the replay again and again and again. They definitely showed the shiny ears. Musgrove was dialed in. You know, I mean, it goes back to Little League. Like, hey, pitcher, pitcher, hey, pitcher. We don't, you know, we need a pitcher, not a belly itcher. I mean, it's the same kind of, you're always trying to needle guys, right? You're always trying to get under their skin. If they're in a rhythm, you step out. If they're, you know, going too fast, you step out. If you're, 
you know, mm-hmm. worried about something, you check it. But I just didn't know if that, you know, you mentioned what they were doing to Bassett. They were stepping out. They were making him feel uncomfortable. They were, you know, they were kind of making it longer. I wonder if, I mean, probably all of these had a factor. But what do you think yeah. about the broadcast getting involved with, you know, making their, you're supposed to make opinions, you're supposed to say things, but. You know, the national broadcast can it can be a little bit tough because you can't you have you have so much control over the narrative. We've talked about this so many times. But yeah. now being on on the side that I'm on, we're we're putting on a show. We're trying to provide entertainment. We're trying to provide insight. We're trying to f- provide background. We're trying to dig a little bit deeper and offer you something that you normally wouldn't see in a show. And I think they latched on to the shiny ear thing and they they proceeded to show it. I mean, I, I'm not positive, but I'm sure in talkback, David Cohn or Eduardo Perez is going, what the hell is this guy's ears on fire for? They, they look like right, they're right. almost bleeding sweat, you know, and keep looking at that. Keep looking at it. And then David Cohn goes, well, the spin rate's up. So what do we, yeah. in this day and age of, of baseball, you know this as well as I do, Tuttle, is when you say his spin rate is elevated, what's your first thought? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, what Stick they're him. implying Sp- is tacky, tack. right? Like, yeah. yeah, he's got a better grip on the ball. He's able to pull harder on the seam. Or a able cool to, night you know, in New York. How is he doing ball. it? Yep. Yep. So I think that's what had happened. And I think it's just, they did control the narrative. They did kind of push the idea without saying it. And at the same time, I just think it, it was bad timing. You know, Buck Showalter is in a desperate spot. His team is scuffling. How can I disrupt the rhythm of this game and try and get it the momentum back in our favor? I'm going to go out there and check the pitcher. There may have been better ways to do it, but I just don't think that that was the way to do it. Uh, you know, Joe Musgrove pretty much said it as much. He goes, I, he goes, I get it. You know, I don't take offense to it. He was trying to disrupt the rhythm of the game. I was in that zone like you were talking about, and he was right. And all it did was piss him off and make him better. Last question about this. What are the repercussions like next year? So we always talk about baseball having a long-term memory and the unwritten rules. If Musgrove is playing the Mets next year in, you know, May or, you know, Mm -hmm. June and they're in New York, like, is there some retaliation or some sort of kind of like, hey, I owe you one, that kind of thing, or is it just go away? How about how about this? If I'm Bob Melvin. Yeah. And we're playing the Mets next season. <laughs> this is why I'm asking because yeah. I know there's some. I've been in the clubhouse long enough. <laughs> if I if I'm Bob Melvin and I'm playing the Mets next season, yeah. And Scherzer's on the mound now. Scherzer's you got to be careful with Scherzer. I mean, he's volatile. You could yeah. really light him up. And <laughs> you're in San Diego. So even if he's pitching great or if he's pitching terribly, getting his you know he's getting yeah. his nipples lit on fire. I would go out to the to the umpire and I'd be like, uh, "Can you check? Can you double check his hat? Can you check the back of his neck?" Yeah. And then just see if the umpire would go out there and just start rubbing up on the back of his neck and just uh, throw it completely off rhythm. Yeah. But I don't think you can go out there and like hit a guy in the ribs. I mean, who are you going to hit? You're going to hit Pete yeah. Alonso in the ribs and say that was for checking Joe Musgrove for his yeah. ears. I think it'd be more fun to go out there and check a Scherzer or a yeah. Taiwan Walker and say, "This okay? You yeah. want to play that game? We'll, we'll, I, got, I got you. We'll, we'll get you back." Well, that's what I mean. I guess that I, I guess that was the question. I, I I was you know I've been out of the game a little while. I was just thinking, what's the retaliatory act that would be ideal? And like you said, Scherzer being volatile or not, 
I mean, he might laugh it off. He might understand it. But I think that's like, that's the baseball unwritten rule anyway. It's like you get, you get your, you know, I get yours, you get mine, that kind of thing. Then they'll go back with the same tactic. So I like that. Um, so the one series we haven't talked about <clears throat> is going, <laughs> kicking off today there in lovely Houston, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um and the Mariners were kind of an upstart, I guess, for most people. And I think the Mariners, the games I've watched at the beginning of the year, you guys played the Mariners a lot. And somehow during COVID, it seemed like you played the Mariners all the time. But uh, <laughs> I guess since they're in the same division, it probably um, belies the fact that you're going to play them quite a bit anyway. But I don't feel like they're intimidated. And I feel like they have some scrappy guys. Um, I mean, I remember this year, I don't know if it was Cal Raleigh, but someone, they were like, yeah, he has like nine home runs, but he has like six of them at Minute Maid Park. And you're like, great. The yeah. guy's got nine home runs and every time he comes in Minute Maid. But what do you think about this series? I know you've been asked this question this week and you've probably mm-hmm. done some analysis or paralysis by analysis. But oh, what, uh, yeah, what do, what do we think about the series? Because I think obviously Verlander tonight has the upper hand, but you know, yes. he doesn't. He's not intimidated. They're not intimidated by him. I mean, they had a scoreless game with them up in Seattle, I remember, and they were giving him a hard time. But uh, what, what what say you about this series? I know the Astros are the favorites. Yeah, I think it's going to be the Astros in four games. I think the Seattle Mariners do scratch out one. I'm not sure which game it is because, like you said, Justin Verlander's faced them six times this season. They've gotten to him in one game. But after that, the, the consecutive four games, he gave up one run in each of those four games. So for me, the veteran Justin Verlander is a guy who prepares extremely well. And fa- when he faces a team that he has experience against, I feel like he's better. He has a better game plan. The execution's right. better. He can adjust. But I think having that knowledge going in and the way he prepares for games and matching up with Martin Maldonado behind home plate, I think the way that those guys prepare against teams that they have a lot of data against, it, it favors Justin Verlander. And I also like the way Justin finished his season. Uh, you know, he's going to win the Cy Young this year, but the way his slider was acting in that last start kind of told me that, oh my gosh, I think he figured it out and has that release point. So if he's able to uh, repeat that release point, he should be in good shape. Um, pitching at Minute Maid Park, he's one of the, I think he might have the best ERA in the history of pitchers who have pitched at Minute Maid Park over 300 innings or something crazy like that. So he's very comfortable in that environment. It's going to, he's going to have to pitch well early because Julio Rodriguez is going to be swinging out of his ass, you know, early trying to set the tone. Um, you got to watch out for Ty France, Mitch Hanniger, uh, Cal Raleigh. It's funny you bring him up. He's been nails the last 11 games with a 12-11 OPS. And, you know, he's he's hitting walk-off bombs. He's hitting game-clinching pinch hit home runs. Hit a big home run in game one against the Toronto Blue Jays. And he's got one of the more interesting nicknames I've ever heard. He's got a huge ass and his nickname is Big Dumper. So I don't know if that's in reference to the size of the backside or never mind. I'll just leave it there. <laughs> Got a chuckle out of Tuttle it on that one. Sounds like you were yeah, it sounds like you worked on that that line. Yeah. That was good. Good delivery. Um, good yeah, big dumper. You gotta watch out for him. Yeah. Don't go don't go in after him. <laughs> but <laughs> But how about the the Astros have a couple of wild cards? Uh, I think uh, you know Lance McCullers hadn't faced uh, Seattle all season, so that'll be a, a nice addition. And I think the Mariners, uh, you know, with Luis Castillo being added to their rotation, is very interesting. And the way this sets up with these days off, it allows him to pitch Game Two. I think Game Two is going to be a really good game, depending on uh, if it's Framber Valdez or Lance McCullers Jr. But Luis Castillo, that matchup is really interesting to me. But again. 
Pitching. You said it earlier in this podcast. If the Astros pitching staff pitches like they did in the regular season, this series will be over sooner than later because pitching beats good hitting every day of the week, and the Astros have just enough offense to get the timely hitting to go out there. Uh, the Astros are very good during day games. I know it sucks they're playing at two thirty, but they play. They're they're very good in the during the day. So obviously, I feel that they're on paper and in my heart. I feel like the uh, Astros have the advantage, and it could be three games, but I'm saying four games. The Astros went out and go to the championship series. Yeah, I think, I mean, on paper, certainly that looks good. Um, Justin Verlander's uh, ERA uh, this year, so 18-4 and four with a 175, I believe. Mm. His ERA is the lowest ERA since Pedro Martinez's year, which was the lights-out year. So, I mean, <sighs> that was he insane. is dialed in. Yeah, he is dialed in. He knows what he's doing. I totally agree with you. Big game pitcher. And I think it's funny because typically we like to say the more at-bats you get, right? We're looking at third time through the lineup, yeah, fourth time through the I'm lineup, with you. That, that the hitters have the advantage because we're like, oh, now we've seen things, we prepared. But when you have a guy that's experienced, and this is why it's funny, maybe I didn't last that long in the game, but man... Guys guys get stuck in their ways, right? So they're like, look, I'm a four-pitch pitcher, but really I'm a fastball slider guy or I'm a sinker mm-hmm. slider guy. If you can now reverse, right, third time through the lineup and now you're throwing the curveball the whole time and they're like, all right, I mean, that's what Verlander does, to your point. Yeah. He adjusts to them and he has confidence with all of his pitches. Now, sometimes, obviously, when you need to rear back and go 97 in the seventh inning and he has it, that's something that not a lot of guys can do. But I do think that that's where... Sometimes we forget that you know there's a lot of um, there's a lot of intelligence that goes into these games, and I don't mean smart guys necessarily, but I mean when we when we dismiss the analytics, it's what you do with the analytics. And I think sometimes it's like, hey, I know I have to throw this guy a changeup because he's a good fastball hitter, but if I bounce three changeups in a row, <laughs> then it doesn't really matter because now I got to mm-hmm. go back to throwing him the fastball that he wanted in the first place. So I, I do think that Verlander has the advantage, but I, I I love your point in that it's so great because most often we say, hey, the pitcher has a disadvantage. Now he's third and fourth time through the lineup. Justin Verlander actually has the advantage. And then when you start getting into LMJ, Lance McCullers Jr., who the Mariners haven't faced, and he has a curveball from, you know, from Mars. And yeah. then you also <laughs> have Fromber, who had, you know, 20, set the record for quality starts in a row. And then, you know, you'll go back to JV. And I mean, you have Luis Garcia back there, or Keaton well, might you, even be the got, long uh, man cr- in the pen. You got, yeah. you know. And Christian Javier, Christian yeah. Javier, who was in the rotation, he was our number five starter, and he had eleven point seven strikeouts per nine. The only guy to yeah. beat him this season was Shohei Otani. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's it's unbelievable. You yeah. know that's something we didn't talk about. So I, I agree with you. The Mar- the Mariners are going to be at a disadvantage here. Obviously, the Astros have home home field advantage too. So um, two more things. This is something we didn't talk about, but you just brought it up. Um, the Judge Shohei Otani debate. I kind of thought last year we finished the year by saying Shohei Otani should win the MVP every single year as long as he's healthy uh, because he's doing things that b- only Babe Ruth had done before. And mm-hmm. now it's a foregone conclusion that Aaron Judge is going to win the MVP. Now, Aaron Judge put together a year like no other, but last year we were looking at Vlad Guerrero Jr. with 48 home runs and hit 285 and drove in 150 runs or whatever he did. 
And we're like, yeah, but he's up against Shohei Otani, who, you know, pitched and hit. And mm-hmm. so where why did that go out the window this year? This is a question I didn't I wrote down earlier and I didn't it's a good know, question. sneaking it on you. But it's like how Shohei Otani should win the MVP every year every because year. he, you know, punched out 200 guys and hit 40 home runs, right? Like I I why did we just why did we dismiss him? Because the other guy's wearing a Yankee uniform, and he uh, beat the he beat the mystique of Roger Maris and sixty two okay. home runs. What's crazy to me is that that dude hit sixty two home runs and has twenty more home runs than everybody else in the league. And we're just going, wow, that's cool. I mean, that's an that's an egregious amount of home runs to be leading everybody by. And I yes, I, I would true. have paid a lot of money to see uh, Barry Bonds in Yankee Stadium. Uh, you know, I, who knows? He might have hit eighty three home runs. But anyways, the fact that he's the home run king now in the American League, I guess, sways the vote. That's the only thing I can think of. Uh, to your point about Shohei Otani, he he's not going to win MVP, and he is going to be the first player ever in in Major League Baseball history to qualify for an ERA title and qualify for a batting title in the same freaking season. And he did it at an elite rate. Somebody put out a great tweet at the end of the season saying, Shohei Otani was already a great hitter. He did that again. He had a great offensive season. Had a brilliant season last season on the mound. He was better in 2022, and he won't get the MVP. Yeah. I'm glad you're on my, my you know my same wavelength. I, I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm just astonished Man. at how, how this guy's doing yeah. it. I don't understand yeah. it. It's almost unexplainable. Yeah. Well, it's otherworldly, and again, yeah. the problem is he plays for the Angels. They play late <laughs> at night. The media has always been, you know, kind of East Coast biased in general yes. because we're not in the right time zone out here on the left coast. But the the other thing is the Yankee uniform. That's great. This is not a an Aaron Judge bashing, and I think that's what no. sometimes happens God, when no. you have to like draw a line and choose. You gotta you gotta play by the rules and you gotta play where you're playing, right? So mm-hmm. Aaron Judge had an unbelievable year, but when you put Vladimir Guerrero in the Rogers Center up there, right, and or mm-hmm. you put him in Yankee Stadium with the dimensions, right? We're, <laughs> you know, I mean, he had they had very similar years. I mean, yeah. Aaron Judge was on fire this year, got a lot of hoopla around him. But in my, I, I will go down planting this flag. It sounds like you agree with me. Shohei Otani should be the MVP every single year. He punches out 200 and hits 40 home runs. I mean, that should just be, all right, Shohei Otani award. And then maybe they'll name it after him. If this were Babe Ruth in a Yankee uniform, I mean, it would be forget Babe Ruth, then Aaron Judge. That's yeah, all. Forget about it. Forget about it. Huh? Well, hey, all right, so, you yeah. foreshadowed. I mean, shoot, enjoy him while he's on that left or on that right coast because he's going to go to that left coast, isn't he? He's a he's a he's a San Francisco Giant guy. He's a North yeah. Cal guy, and he's a free agent. Yeah, I I just I don't see it happening. <laughs> I just don't see it. Now that that actually leads to our point though, because now the Giants have a new general manager named Paul Patilla, I believe. Pete, is that right? How do you say it? Pete Pete Patilla. Oh. Sorry, Paul. I'm, I screwed it up already. But it is Patilla, correct? Yes. yes. You are correct. P-P. Yes, right. you are correct. You are correct, sir. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> old Saturday Night Live reference, folks. Yes. Maybe we could find that, too. You are correct, sir. Yes. <laughs> um, Johnny Carson and Ed McMahon, you are yes. correct, sir. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, so... Uh, Pete Patilla, um, Paul Pete Patilla, 
Yeah. He's going to have Paulie. three names in my book, PPP. So uh, coming as the assistant general manager from the Houston Astros, who, um, you know, those guys came in with Jim Click and Dusty Baker and Paul Patilla. Just kidding. Pete <laughs> Patilla Paulie. came in. Yeah, good old Paulie. Uh, came in, obviously, and they were on a team that had already won <laughs> a significant amount of championships when they rolled into town. Uh, they continued the trend, but now it looks like he's getting out of there. And I don't know if that's because he wasn't extended, but what, what can we expect from the giants? I mean, maybe an Aaron judge signing, but I, I, I will say <laughs> in a little biased form, that's what the giants need. I mean, they need an identity yeah. and we look at the Astros and they obviously got Verlander and Cole that one year. And I don't even know if they were the identity as much as it mm -hmm. was the middle of the order. You know, you had Correa and Altuve and then you got drafted Bregman and you kind of added this foundational, you kind of need on both sides. The giants have no identity. Um, you know, it was the Brandon Crawford, Brandon belt and, um, and Buster Posey, Posey show yeah. for a long time. They've done really well. But since then, obviously, Buster Posey just retired last year. But I really feel like that's the biggest thing lacking. We talk about chemistry and we talk about ability, but the biggest thing lacking is an identity for the Giants. And do you think um, a new general manager, what you know about him from the Astros, will bring an identity to the Giants? Yeah, so there's there's obviously pedigree and these guys are, are developed and brought in and they learn and they win and they find out what works, what doesn't, hopefully. And uh, then they're given the reins to go do what they want with it. And I think that Pete's actually earned it a little bit. He had some time under Jeff Luno before James Click. So he's kind of seen the good, the bad, the ugly, and has a very good idea of what goes into being a champion. And I think, you know, what what is going on too is the fact that you know, David Stearns, the GM of the uh, Milwaukee Brewers, came from that Luno mold. And I think around the league, just some of the talking that I, you know, I'm able to talk to some of these people, the Astros have developed a model. They've developed a culture outside of 2017 that says, we're going to pitch extremely well. We're going to learn how to use spin rates and some of the metrics to make our pitchers better. We're not going to swing at pitches outside the zone. We're going to take our walks when necessary. And when you make a mistake, we're not going to cut down. We're going to try and hit bombs. We're going to be lift to the pull side. And they've done a very good job of creating a winning culture in that sense that they're able to command the strike zone as hitters and as pitchers are able to dominate the spin realm of the pitching world. And I think that's where some of the appeal of these guys in, in front offices, where they, they do a good job of, like Tuttle was saying, of finding talent and developing it. Because in this day and age of of high payrolls and you know trying to control your your roster a little bit as far as the the contracts that you're giving out it, the Astros did a very good job of drafting developing and then sprinkling in some very good free agents and going on the waiver wire and finding guys and I think there's something else with Pete Patilla that he understood with the Houston Astros is developing outside the US uh, the Astros have done a ridiculous job of getting great international signings. You talked about it earlier with Luis Garcia, Jose Urquidy, Christian Javier. There are some guys out there that have come from other countries, all the Cuban players, you know, the Jordans, Yulis, Aledmus Diaz. They've done a great job of bringing in and taking chances on some older Latin guys, and it's paid off. So I think that's what's going to carry over, or hopefully that the Giants are going to bring with it, is that idea of how do we draft, how do we develop, and uh, we talk about it all the time with the St. Louis Cardinals. They just developed a, an idea of winning. And I think that's what you're trying to take away from the Astros is not all of the, the baggage that it has, 
but there was a very good model in place before the disaster of 2017. And I think that's what teams are trying to get their hands on. And Pete Putilla, to his credit, you know, he worked hard, hopefully retained a lot of information. And now he's got the bull by the horns out there in San Francisco, and he's got an opportunity to kind of build a winner out there. That's awesome. I mean, it's great to hear as a Giants fan. The other, I have two things for you. One is, I mean, that's what we're looking for. And I think it's funny because baseball, I think what you said is really interesting. We look at salary cap and we look at types of players and you can go back to Moneyball and look at a couple of uh, tweaks there, like what's going to be our philosophy. But I've, I noticed a, a huge difference from when you and I were playing back in the minor leagues, for sure, where it was kind of prospect driven, meaning like these guys, we got all these guys, they're talented. And as quickly as we can get these talented guys up to the big leagues, we're going to see some success. It's nice to know that there is a philosophy. Like, look, if you want to make it to the big leagues here, yeah, you got to hit, you know, you, you got to utilize or maximize the talent that we drafted you for, but you also can't mm-hmm. swing at these pitches and you also can't do this. And you got to be able to move runners over and you got to be able to, like you said, you know, you know, turn on a ball and lift to the pull side. Like you have to do the things that we want you to do and you can work on those in the minor leagues and you can work on those in batting practice, but you're going to have to do these because that's how you fit into our team. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's sometimes lacking, which is you have a minor league system that doesn't really have a philosophy. They just are going to just kind of breed talent and they want these guys to do things. But when you actually have a philosophy and you have guys that you identify that fit that philosophy, I think not everybody's going to make it to the big leagues, but those guys will rise through the system more easily because when they get to the big leagues, they're not overwhelmed. They fit right into the system um, that's already been established. And I think that's fantastic to hear. And hopefully the Giants are able to do that. The other question I have, and this is going to probably just linger out there, but does, <laughs> I know Farhan, you know, is bringing yeah. in uh, Pete, but do they get along with Gabe and his wacky style? So that'll be interesting to see because that will be interesting I to think, see. Right. Because I think now you've put that bridge in there. There when Farhan puts a guy in in the space between them, right? Because he was kind of running yes, it all. And right. I know he likes Gabe, but now this is our this was kind of our argument with Rick Hahn and LaRusa. It's like, well, yeah. Rick Hahn didn't want Tony LaRusa there and he got kind of bypassed. Like I wonder how that chemistry is going to work. And I think that'll be the lingering question I have in the offseason. Well it's the whole cart before the horse thing, you know, and usually the GM brings in a manager that they're comfortable with because they have the same philosophy, the same understanding on how they want to run a team, and the communication's going to be there because you're all pushing in the same direction. When you have a manager in place and then you bring in a GM, it's it's, you know, who meshes with who? Does the does the manager try to accommodate and mesh with the GM or is it, is it vice versa where the GM has to kind of massage the manager and, and accommodate him in order to build that relationship and that trust? You know, that's what's interesting to me. I, th- I think that's a very good point in how is, even though Gabe may have been in on the, maybe the interview process or the hiring process, there's still, you know, the manager is going to have the idea of this is my team and you're going to, you're going to help me make it better. Whereas the GM is going to say, this is my team and this is the guy that's going to run it better. I don't, yep. you know, that's, that's an interesting idea. I like that. That's a really good question. Yeah, and we've seen it with other teams. I mean, we have seen it, and and I think the teams that have the most yeah, because there was a disconnect those- in Chicago. You know that we yeah oh, that yeah. was proven. 
Yeah. And without bringing up Houston too much, I mean, like you said, you know, Dusty's a little bit old school and that was already mm-hmm. uh, like everything was already kind of in place running. So we're going to see probably a lot of changes in the off season that we, some we expect and some we don't. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing how that plays out. Our World Series choice, or at least our World Series American League choice, we thought the Blue Jays were going to make it this year. They're out. But I think because they're out, that means good things for you because mm-hmm. uh, that means the Astros are in. They kind of, you know, buy, they, they, they take the, uh, what do they want to take, the pole position here. Yeah. No, they do because, you know, I wrote it down earlier. And in fact, the one team that the Astros had a losing record against this season were the Blue Jays. They have a winning record against everybody else. So it does kind of push the Astros into the forefront and make them definitely the favorite in the American League now. Yeah. And I think as an outsider, we would like to see the Dodgers play the Astros in the World Series because it's the two best teams, the two best records, the best probably depth around. But as an Astros fan that, you know, or even an Astros employee trying to get another ring, it would probably be great to see the Astros and the Padres or the Astros and, you know, <laughs> maybe even the Phillies. The Phillies yes. could sneak in there. So, like, you'll take that any day of the week. Yes. <laughs> so, if, you're, if you're looking for the easier path, that would be it. The Phillies or right. the Padres. Yeah. You don't wish injuries on anybody. You want to get their best <laughs> shot. But, you know, playing the Braves or the Dodgers is going to be just as challenging as it always is. And, you know, the yeah. Astros have a road to go as well. So, so that's all we got on the Bleacher Blums podcast. Thanks for sticking with us. Got a little uh, long-winded today, but it was good. We covered a lot of topics. Yeah. Hey, what the hell? Um, and uh, that's all we got for this week. So as always, we want to shout out uh, our first responders, military uh, around the world and uh, here in the States, um, police, fire, uh, teachers, healthcare workers, um, we really appreciate you and we do not take for granted the freedoms that we have to come on here and do the podcast, play golf, uh, go to volleyball tournaments, you know, things like that, uh, that we get to enjoy uh, on a day-to-day basis. If you're over the age of 45, please don't forget to get screened for colorectal cancer. Get after it and believe it. The one and Alvarez belts it deep to right field. Gets it goodbye. Unbelievable. The Astros a walk-off win. Jordan Alvarez a walk-off three-run homer. And the Astros stun the Mariners in game one of the division series. Incredible. The house of horrors for the Seattle Mariners continues as they mob Alvarez by home plate. with that I like it three two